0: I feel it really defeating when people, you know, jump onto these different sorts of health bandwagons because they think they're doing good when actually the research says the complete opposite.
1: Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the end. Love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And while Dr. Megan is here, she is not your doctor. So we recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly that said welcome Dr. Megan Rossi to the show how are you good it's an absolute pleasure to be here before we started recording I was like surprised that you have an Australian accent you're also currently living in London is that what you said yeah yeah yeah. all all the fun for us American listeners with your accent today is it okay if I call you Megan Of course, yes. I'm going to be a little informal and drop the doctor. For those that don't know Megan, she is known as the Gut Health Doctor. So you can find her website, theguthealthdoctor.com, as well as all her socials. And you recently released a book called How to Eat More Plants, plant-based eating, essentially, which is very much a departure for our show. But one of the things that I loved that I want to talk about is the idea that There is science to support adding diversity to our plates, to our lives, and what that looks like without the dogma of diet culture and like strict rules of removal and all these kinds of things. And I think it really does allow for a bio-individuality of listening to our bodies and, you know, nourishing ourselves in a way that can also be emotionally fulfilling without strict rules. And so we're going to talk more about that. But I want to tell our listeners about you before we do. So if you don't know, the gut health doctor is an internationally influential gut health specialist. And Megan has been practicing as a dietitian and nutritionist, as well as leading research fellow at King's College in London. So cool. I love that you're into the science on all this stuff. We're a very science forward show. And you're also the founder of the Gut Health Clinic, where you lead a team of gut specialist dietitians also super cool we've been featured in women's health business insider sunday times daily mail seems like you name it, people can can find your work around, around town, so to speak. And you've got a great engaged social media following. So our listeners can find you and great content, like I said, at the Gut Health Doctor. I personally find that your content with your adorable Boston Terrier named Pistachio is my favorite. We also have a Boston Terrier who is just as much of a ham and full of attitude. Ours is Penny. She's a female, but I was like watching pistachio on your social. I was like, I love it. There's such, they're such characters. They're so full of life. Um, so Megan, I think you're, you're probably pretty aware that I'm picky about dietitians coming on the show. We chatted a little bit beforehand and my listeners know that there has been a journey on the show from, you know, my background with paleo to this, the personal health experiences that I had from coming out of that to the science that now is much more supportive of, you know, diversity and being less stressed about food as being beneficial for your health as well, all that kind of stuff. And so it's incredibly hard to walk the line of both improving your health through diet and lifestyle but not bringing along diet culture or creating something inaccessible to most people. I think that's another thing that, you know, I, I try to talk about a lot as well. And so I was excited to connect about your book and the focus of it, because it focuses on science, just like you and your background and that we can avoid diet dogma by incorporating foods by focusing on adding things in. And the basis of that is obviously from your scientific perspective of a gut health forward research. And so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it and yourself and what brought you to be the gut health doctor.
0: absolutely. Stacey, I absolutely love, you know, your focus around, you know, the anti-diet culture because, you know, as a clinician for the past decade plus, I have seen the diet culture ruin people's relationship with food and damage their gut health, which I'll go more into, but that really is such a powerful thing. So I'm very pro this concept of inclusion, not exclusion, not only because it improves people's relationship with food, but actually because it works. You know, I've seen it work firsthand. So that's why, you know, it's really exciting to have this conversation and and to share more and i guess give people comfort that that philosophy actually does work it leads to brilliant health outcomes because you know what i'm all about is obviously gut health and when I first started out in this area, gut health wasn't the most sexy of, of topics, you know. I did a PhD working with stool samples in my early twenties, and that was certainly something I didn't want to share with, you know, my friends on a Friday night as we're, you know, going out to clubs and stuff like that. But it came from a passion point, and it was I actually grew up at a farm in Australia, so good gut health was inherent to my upbringing, and you know, playing in the dirt, eating fresh fruit, veg, all that sort of stuff. But actually, my first conscious encounter with gut was a, quite a negative one, and that I was in my final year studying nutrition and dietetics i lost my grandma to bowel cancer and my grandma had a really big part of my upbringing she yeah was really vital to that and yeah it, it made me hate the guy for putting her through the chemo the surgery and obviously taking her life so There was a negative relationship there. And then I graduated as a dietitian, started working in both the hospital setting with all different types of conditions, different cancers, kidney disease, heart disease, et cetera. But also I was very fortunate to be the nutritionist for the Australian Olympic synchronized swimming team. And what I found so striking is that people of very different backgrounds were all coming to me complaining of the gut. I was like, gosh, what is about this organ? That was 2010. So there hadn't been a whole lot of gut health research really at that stage so i thought you know what i owe it to my grandma and to my patients and clients to find out more about this organ so i i committed to a phd looking at targeting the gut through the right nutrition whether that can improve the health of not just our gut but widespread benefits things like our mental health and our kidney function things like that it was really that phd that transformed everything for me it became so clear that actually I loved the gut. It was just very much misunderstood. And it could be so powerful and supportive of whatever health goal and happiness goal that you had. We just need to understand and and take care of it. So at that point, I knew I wanted to dedicate the rest of my career to gut health and move over to the U to work as a research fellow at King's following that because they were doing really great, innovative gut health research. And I continue to work there today.
1: It's super cool. And I can imagine that the poop conversation at the college bar could actually have been great. I mean, (laughs)
0: conversation starter, you know,
1: yep, yep, not traditional, for sure. So one of the things that I think our listeners will not be surprised by, but find interesting is that your book, How to Eat More Plants talks about the science-based approach to 30 varieties of plants a week. And we actually did a podcast episode 424 where we went over the science of of that and it being an optimal recommendation. I remember my co-host at the time, I was like, excuse me, like 30 fruits and vegetables? That's, you know, a lot. But it's not just fruits and vegetables, it's plants. And so we'll talk a little bit about that but I'm wondering if for those listeners who haven't heard kind of that deep dive that we already did if you can give kind of a high level recap on the science of why that specific recommendation.
0: Yeah Stacey look we know that people who eat more plants you know we've seen it through centuries seem to live happier healthier longer lives but I guess we never really understood I guess the key mechanisms and understanding of that until we discovered more about the fact we contain these trillions of bacteria in our gut and the scientific name for that is our gut microbiome so these gut microbiomes as essentially love plants and they don't just love the same plants, they love diversity. Because like I said, we've got trillions of different bacteria in our gut and each one actually likes different types of plants. So what the science has shown is that people who eat at least 30 different types of plants per week have better gut health than those who eat the same 10 on repeat. And I think that's a kind of a fairly new concept because what they, they looked further and they showed that They compared vegans, uh, 100% plant-based versus omnivores, those who ate plants but also ate animal products. And what they showed that it didn't matter whether you're a vegan or omnivore, the key principle of gut health came down to that plant diversity. And that's, you know, something that I, I, you know, live by myself where I eat, literally everything i eat animal products and and that's okay wherever you sit on this kind of spectrum as long as the fundamentals like most of your diet is based on plants you can choose whatever the hell you want to add on top of that you know it's it can only you know add fun to your diet right so i think that is you know a really key principle and one that we probably didn't understand this importance of diversity a lot of people you know might eat the same sorts of plants on repeat because, hey, they just know their bananas and their apples or, you know, their tomatoes and their lettuce and they just go with that. But what we see is we should be celebrating the diversity of plants because each one contains such an amazing myriad of different types of plant chemicals which nourish the gut bacteria. And we need to start appreciating these gut bacteria have so much power and potential. In fact, so many of the functions we thought human cells did actually comes down to our gut bacteria. So things like producing different hormones, and and vitamins, things like communicating to our brain, improving our mental health, things like our blood sugar regulation, all of this sort of stuff, a lot of it comes down to our gut bacteria. So we want to nourish them as much as possible. So what I always think is every time I eat something, I want to make sure that yes, there's something that my taste buds are going to enjoy, but also I want to make sure my gut microbes aren't missing out either. So it's thinking about kind of that collective, you know, making sure that all of us get to enjoy whatever's on our plate as a concept. And yeah, that's kind of where that that scientific study has shown that trying to get in that diversity is quite important. And like you said, when I talk about plants, it's not just your fruit and veg. There's what I call the super six. So there's six different categories of of plants. And ideally, if you can, trying to get in as many as you can across the week is going to be key. So you've got your whole grain. So that's things like your your wheat, your barley, oats to quinoa you've got your legumes and things like it chickpeas lentils butter beans um black beans you've got your nuts and seeds you've got your fruit you've got your veg and you've got your herbs and spices and we see that you know i mean i know you mentioned the paleo diet and, and there's all these other restrictive diets and what we see is actually they often cut out one of these super sex and that in turn actually has been shown to narrow down the gut bacteria and actually over time can do damage to our gut microbiome so that's you know why i certainly am very much against all of this restrictive anti-diet culture because actually it harms this amazing amazing community inside of us that can have so much you know power and potential so that I think that's another good reason that we move away from that diet culture and, and think about how we can add in those 30 across the week but like you you kind of initially said it can be like whoa 30 like that is a lot but there's a lot of you know tips and tricks that makes it so easy so Stacey I'm not sure if you have found any but like you know instead of just getting pumpkin seeds get your three bean three seed mix instead of just getting your one type of nut butter you know get the mixed nut butter and things like that the extra diversity really can make some extra gains for your gut microbiome
1: yeah I'm excited to to dive into that I have some questions and ideas I think one of the things that um strikes me about your would you say super six would you call them Yes. yes, and I like to refer to our gut microbiome as our our pets, right? Like we have to we have to feed and take care of our our little gut pets. and I think if we think about them as like our friends that are you know living with us, then we want to nourish them and take care of them from that perspective. But one of the things that struck me about your super six is that all of them have fiber. and i I feel like from that, diet dogma perspective, oftentimes we think about things like grains as a carbohydrate and it creates divisiveness and then essentially like shame around foods that have carbs, right? Like people start to believe that it's a bad thing for them to eat these foods. And I have one in particular that I'm excited to kind of dive into with you. But I think, you know, for me, I did a year of Meal plans with just dinner for like family-oriented meals that you could make to get 30 servings per week of just dinners with fruits, vegetables, and nuts, seeds, and some grains. And it's amazing because when you start adding delicious flavors like onions and garlic and lemon and fresh herbs, in addition to kind of you know what you were talking about, with you know, instead of just having like one bean choose multiple beans or instead of one seed or not choose multiple i think you know it it does become more accessible and especially when we're talking about you know these kinds of foods being foods that are available to those who don't have a high food budget right like legumes and beans are available to you know everybody everywhere and frozen vegetables are available to almost everyone everywhere with it within a budget that works for them. And so all of that kind of resonates with me as being, if we think about these things as fiber, right? Like we can call them plants, we can also call them fiber, but I think we need to like let go of this idea in our head that they're carbs and carbs are bad because our friends need those carbohydrates or they starve and they die off, right? So one of the ways that you talk about this that I think will... Surprise some of our listeners. That speaks to what what you were just expanding upon in terms of like eliminations not being something that you recommend. Our listeners might be surprised to hear that the science is growing on the gluten free movement being detrimental to our gut health. Now, so many people have gone gluten-free for so long that either are not celiac or aren't intolerant that we can actually see that it's starting to harm the gut instead of helping the gut long-term. So I would love for you to kind of share more about the science on this and and what you're seeing in your research.
0: Yeah, look, I think gluten is a really hot topic and I'm happy that you've you've highlighted that one there because yes, we know that 1% of the population have a celiac disease and autoimmune condition to gluten. So they absolutely need to cut, you know, every little trace of gluten out of their diet. It's kind of like a peanut allergy, right? If you've got a peanut allergy, you need to be really careful. And then there's what you mentioned, a gluten intolerance, and we call it non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Now, we think that probably only affects maybe 3 to 6% of the population, but you're right. Up to 25% of the population do limit or do avoid gluten because it's been demonised. But actually, we see that you know gluten, which is found in wheat, barley, and rye, you know when we have it in the whole grain, actually these foods are being linked with you know better weight management, better heart health, longevity, lower cancer risk, and all of these sorts of things. And it's just a case of the media has blown out elements of of gluten being really harmful and. And we know that based on a lot of the research like you highlighted, that people who are cutting out gluten of their diet unnecessarily, because in turn, they're often cutting out a lot of these beneficial whole grains, actually have a a reduced diversity of gut bacteria, so less diverse bacteria. And if you think about these bacteria, your friends in your gut, each one has different skills. So if you're narrowing down the types of food you're eating and the, and the fertilizer that you're feeding them, it narrows down their skill set essentially. And therefore you miss out on some of the potential benefits that you could be having from these microbes. As well as I think it's worth being aware that the gluten-free foods financially, the studies have shown about three times the cost when we compare lack to like. And then the other thing is, I guess, a lot of these gluten-free foods because gluten actually it's a protein and it has this really impressive benefit of kind of creating this texture in 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 whole in like breads and and pastas and things like that. So when we take that out to replace that, we have to add in a lot of these extra food additives. And therefore, you know, we're we're looking and potentially having a whole lot of these extra food additives may actually have this negative knock-on consequence. And we've got a clinical trial at King's at the moment looking at a specific category called emulsifiers, which is found a lot of our our kind of ultra processed foods and and potentially not you know if we have excessive amounts of them then that might not be a great thing for our gut microbiome so we we do know that you know if you don't need to go gluten-free you know cutting it out because it's a trend or you heard it's bad actually could do more harm than good
1: It kind of reminded me as you were speaking, and I was thinking about that because I, my mom has an anaphylactic reaction to gluten. We're celiac, so we're gluten-free. And I feel confident that like that's the right decision for me. And I know how many people have been in my life who have taken gluten out and then bring it back in. And they're like, oh, actually, I don't think that was the cause of the problems that I was experiencing. And I think if if i think back to i as i was growing up we were also vegetarian we were on the like front end of that you know popularization of eliminating meats and at first our diets were focused a lot plant forward fiber rich you know those kind of foods and then as vegetarianism became more popular through the 90s there were a lot more as you called them ultra processed, I'm going to say pre-prepared, like, you know, there were foods that were made in a kitchen other than our own that contained a lot of ingredients that weren't things that we kept in our kitchen, that then we started eating more of these pre-prepared foods. <laughs> I remember growing up with something called meatless meatloaf, and I called it bird seed with ketchup. It was was literally like a box of seeds that my mom mixed with like a bottle of ketchup and formed it into a loaf and then like served it. And it was awful because it was like raw seeds with a bottle of ketchup. But because that was the only vegetarian option at the time, we weren't eating a bunch of that because it was disgusting. But then... And now we think about how everywhere you go, you can find, for example, you know, meat-free foods that are designed to look like and taste like meat. And in order to do that, we have, you know, foods that would not normally be in your kitchen, these additives and emulsifiers and food color and all these other things in order to get it to replicate that. And I think, you know, if that gives someone a satiating feel that when they're, you know, at a barbecue with their family and they they want a burger and they're going to buy this burger, like there's absolutely room for that in their life. I totally get that. It just reminded me as you were talking that, like, just like there were was vegetarianism and people had like this positive effect from a plant-forward, more mindful approach in their life to inclusivity rather than exclusivity, like right, instead of focusing on you know removing whatever they were focused on just like let me fill my plate with a lot of you know vegetables that will fill me up and nourish me. To then how that translated into the gluten movement, because 12, 13 years ago, when we first went gluten free, there was you could not just go to a restaurant and order gluten free. I was eating a lot of salads, I was eating a lot of, you know, steak with a side of vegetable, like the things that I knew were safe to be gluten free. And that we're also I- inclusive of this diversity of foods. now you know, we go anywhere and it's that's so funny that you say that gluten-free is three times more expensive. It doesn't surprise me, but it's also like horrifying. but because we need all these additives and different kinds of things to go into the foods to replicate it that way that I don't normally ho- host in my kitchen. And so it's one thing if it's serving a purpose of, culture or, you know, societal connection, or that's a thing that you want and you're making a choice to eat the thing. Absolutely, by all means, like no shame, no judgment, enjoy it. I think it's entirely different when we, if someone were to go gluten-free today and think, oh, let me just replace the whole grain bread that I'm eating with this gluten-free version and now I'm eating healthier. Well, actually, if we look at the ingredients, is is that truly improving your health and what I'm hearing you say is that the research is not supporting that so far
0: yeah look absolutely and I I couldn't agree with you more I think you know as long as people are empowered with the information they can choose whatever you know they want to do with that it's definitely not about dictating you should eat that or you shouldn't eat that that sort of thing but like you said I I feel it really defeating when people you know jump on to these different sorts of health bandwagons because they think they're doing good when actually the research says the complete opposite and I find that it's just not a fair translation of that science because I want people to be empowered with the information and then you know like you said absolutely having some of these you know pre-prepared meals or to process whatever you want to call them you know and a barbecue because it makes you be able to enjoy in the social setting and you know go to the picnic and all of that sort of stuff absolutely go for it but what upsets me is when people have been told that having those pre-prepared meals is healthier than having maybe the animal equivalent, and they're going for them thinking they're choosing a healthier option when that's just not the case. That that's what I think is unfair. So yeah, I think you made a blue point. Yeah.
1: This podcast is sponsored by 360 Cookware, who I personally reached out to and begged to work with me because I am asked about non-toxic cookware almost daily. Finding a safe pan that is nonstick felt like an impossible task. But I finally found a brand that is now my top recommendation, and you can get it 25% off with code WHOLEVIEW. It is a perfect way to treat yourself or to gift this holiday season. It's not gonna make me popular, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The nonstick coated pan that you're using lied to you. It's not actually as safe as you may think that it is. According to third party testing, the coating on most nonstick cookware, including all the popular eco brands that you've seen in social media ads, nearly all of them claim to be PFAS free, but aren't. A recent study found that 79% of tested nonstick cooking pans were coated with PFAS, PFOS, PFOA, and PTFE, all hydrophobic chemicals that can be potentially harmful, not to mention several other plastic coating types, none of which were disclosed, such as BPA-based epoxy. We did a deep dive into the environmental and health hazards of these forever chemicals in episode 464, but the short of it is that your nonstick pan might be harming your family's health. And since these chemicals are known to migrate into food, there is a possible hazard that requires further research. Listen, I've used those pans too. This is not a shame show. I want to do better when I know better, period. And we cook to nourish our family, and with the efforts that we make to cook at home, I don't want our cookware to negate those benefits. But I also don't want to have food stuck to my pans and a big mess after cooking. That's where 360 cookware comes in. What makes their heavy-duty stainless steel cookware different is the dry sanding process, which gives their stainless steel pans a non-porous surface. And their unique vapor technology keeps nutrients in the pot No chemical coatings needed. They're American-made, non-toxic, high-quality, long-lasting stainless steel cookware that is heavy-duty and beautifully crafted with a lifetime guarantee. That means that you're getting sturdy, safe cookware for life. Your one-time purchase can be passed down for generations of healthy, happy cooking. For more information, visit my sustainable, safer, non-toxic cookware review at realeverything.com. And if you're ready to start your journey of good-for-you cooking with good-for-you cookware, purchase 360 cookware today with 25% off code WHOLEVIEW. just popping in to let you know that beauty counter site-wide black friday sale starts on the 14th things will start selling out really quickly so build your cart now and be ready for the site-wide sale beautycounter.com Toth. okay so you have six principles that you call that you coined the diversity diet in your new book, and I would love if we could kind of go through them. The first one won't surprise our listeners, mostly plants, right? And so the question I have about this though, and I'm curious how you handle, The people who debate ideal macronutrients. So for example, I don't know how it is where you are in America. We have a large group of people who think that something like a carnivore diet or a keto diet, which is very few, very, very few fruits and vegetables or limited in the diversity of them. And we also have people who believe, for example, that you need one gram of protein per pound which I don't know it's 2.2 kilos per pound for reference uh, per body weight and so you know when I think about that and then I think about how many plants you're talking about eating that doesn't jive and so do you get pushback from people on like but plants have phytonutrients and they're harming my health and I'm avoiding them on purpose how do you handle that
0: yeah look I'm all about just sharing the science and and like I said you know whatever people want to do with that you know, they can still go carnivore route. It's not going to upset me at all. You know, I've got clients, I, I still practice as a as a dietitian who choose to eat that way. And I'm like, fine. And I'm just going to try share the science where I can, make tweaks to include the science in any ways that you find, you know, valid in your own life. So I'm very much about, you know, that principle. But what I would say is that if you look at the scientific literature, the people who live the longest, the happiest and the healthiest, they are basing their diets on plants. So when it comes to these six principles, what I, I did is essentially just reviewed all of like literally hundreds and hundreds of scientific papers, looking at what the overall science says is going to be optimal for our gut health, and therefore things like mental health, heart health, and and longevity. And, and that's what we see is is that people who are eating more of these diverse plants live longer and have all these health benefits. There is no scientific uh, evidence that having these carnivore diets actually is going to increase your longevity. The science literally shows the opposite where we know that, you know, having too many of these animal foods and cutting out more, I think that the key is cutting out the plants is probably the more negative part. Cause yeah, I eat animal products. That's fine. It's more of cutting out the, the plant part. What that does is starves your gut bacteria and really reduces its functionality. And that's linked with things like, Higher risk of, of heart disease, colon cancer, you know, and all different types of, of cancer. So it is something that I'm passionate about. Just get sharing the science with people and being careful of what we call anecdotal evidence, where we see that all the time on social media. We may see this guy on social media or a girl on social media and they're raving about the carnival diet. They're like, Oh, I've got so much energy, I'm not bloated, I'm feeling good. And actually, you don't know all the other elements that's going on in their life. They may have just got a new puppy. So they might be feeling more, jan- just got a new job or, you know, just one a lot or something like that. That's actually changed, you know, you know kind or of the it's bias. Just simply,
1: it's simply the self-care that they're taking, which is the mindset that we are usually approaching a, a lifestyle and a dietary change, right. Is that we're practicing self-care in other areas of our life, which also help us feel good
0: absolutely that you know that placebo effect and and yeah focusing on the other elements 100% is is the most likely so what i'm always cautious of people being aware that it's probably anecdotal evidence and there's other things going on and, and looking at what the whole body of evidence says. And we look at the the blue zones, the sanitarians, people live to at least hundred plus, you know, plants are the foundations of their diets. The Mediterranean diet where, you know, there's literally millions and millions of, of data points on that. Again, foundation of that is plants. So that's what I share with them. If they choose to still go one way, I'm like, yep, you do you, but that's just what the science says.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And I think the other element that I have seen on these anecdotal cases is someone like myself, someone like these people who are feeling great on vegan or feeling great on um, keto, right, like couldn't be more opposite. And they both say that they feel great. Most people, within a couple of years, will have it catch up to them because there is a micronutrient deficiency from these eliminations that they're making one way or another, and then they don't feel so great. And so there's countless, countless stories of people who are like, I take it all back. I'm so sorry. Like, stop what you're doing and, you know, diversify, which is why you're here, invited to this show, because <laughs> it's what we do to make things right.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, Stacy. I mean, I really empathize and, and want to reinforce that point because, you know, I. I see it all the time and now we have the science I guess to understand like you said the micronutrient deficit but also the damage to the gut microbiome that's done when you go on these sort of extreme diets and we often see you know that whether it's weight or whatever the outcome you know maybe in the short term they're achieving that because that restriction but actually it's done damage to the gut microbiome which means they not only then have that that yo-yoing effect because the microbiome is really important for our metabolism, as well as things that you know. I hear a lot of, I've cut out you know plants, therefore I'm not bloated, so I feel really great. And you're like, yeah, but you know what? What about your mental health? What about your hormone regulate? All the other things the gut microbiome's involved in, and yeah. yeah,
1: or or it's requiring you to take a whole bunch of supplements in order to be able to sleep, or to not have restless leg syndrome, or like all these other things that we hear, right? So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so this kind of takes us to the second point of your six principles, which was diversity all the way. And you mentioned already what those six things are in terms of vegetables, not surprising, fruits, not surprising. But I would love for you to share a little bit about what you've seen as far as the benefits from legumes, whole grains, and nuts and seeds, which I think we all those of us who come from a background of food restriction in any sort of way i think we have mixed emotions about right like there's there's something that kind of like oh, is is this oatmeal i made for myself this morning really a good thing right and i think we need your uh your encouragement to yes go for it and feed feed your friends
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in terms of the specific ones, there was a really great study published earlier in the year and they showed that adding whole grains into our diet extended our life expectancy by about three years. Similarly, adding nuts and seeds increased life expectancy by about two years. And then I think legumes as well with maybe two and a half years. So they actually quantified the different categories and the amount of life you could add to to yours. If I calculated, Um, that's eight years, just adding those, those three. Food groups back to your diet. Yeah. Exactly. And those three had the strongest benefits. So they actually looked at all the super sex and showed you could add a decade to your life. But it was really those three that had the biggest gains. And often we suspect it's probably because they're the ones we kind of neglect and, and don't have. And, you know, the, Nuts and seeds, I think, is an important one because they're being demonized as being fattening, too high calorie, but they're a wealth of, they've got a wealth of nutrition in them that actually makes them really important to have. And I'm not saying you need to have half a cup of nut butter every day because that's not going to fit into that diversity because you're going to be having too much for that one time, but having some, you know, sprinkled, um, nuts and seeds or whatever you're having, you know, really will offer a whole range of these things called phytochemicals, which are literally plant chemicals, which have an array of health benefits from things like your mental health, supporting things like your your metabolism and, and all those sorts of things, which we know, you know, is linked to overall health. So Absolutely, I advocate that people include them in their diet in that diversity diet, but it's again not going extreme. I think sometimes, particularly when we've been on these restrictive diets, and I think we'll talk, I'm not going to go there actually, because we're going to talk about that as one of the principles. But that's, I think, important for people who've been on diet cultures a technique that I'll I'll talk about because often we go binge eat on these foods and therefore it beats the purpose of of diversity. And I think that's a, a really important point for me that we've
1: talked about, you know, before. And I know referencing what you just said about kind of binge eating, have you seen, this is just a complete aside, that Jonathan Van Ness has has been talking about his recent weight loss and people are asking, what have you done? And he said, I've realized that I was under eating, causing binge eating, which was the problem that I was experiencing. And so now, How I lost weight is essentially eating more, right? Like having a better relationship with food. And that's something that I've been trying to talk about a lot on the show as well, right? And I think especially those of us that are coming out of diet culture or who have restricted food categories for so long, from a mental health perspective and from a biological perspective, our bodies are driven to come out of starvation mode to protect themselves with the nutrients that now they're getting a hold of and to kind of go ham on something because they're afraid that you're going to take it away again. And so you're literally fighting physically and mentally with yourself on some of these foods. And it can look like nut butter, it can look like ice cream, it can look like salt, it can look like a lot of different things for people as you go through these, you know, eliminations, whatever that might be in your world, and I think, you know, I point to Jonathan Van Ness because he's someone who I I just think is fun, and for him to publicly be sharing That when people are asking him, like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on with your weight loss? And he's like, I'm eating more, (laughs) you know, like I'm not binge eating. There has to be that transition though, of forgiveness with yourself, of allowing your body to have that binge period. And in my experience, right, like when I started kind of reopening my foods to some of these things, white rice was something that I was like, I just could not get enough of. My body was just like obsessed with wanting white rice and I wonder if it was my gut health wanting more you know potentially resistant starch or different kinds of things like who knows what it was but at first I felt a lot of shame around the fact that I couldn't control myself with white rice and then I was like you know what I'm just gonna have white rice every time I want white rice and then I'm gonna hopefully be able to let go and now I very seldom have a craving for just plain white rice, right? I love, I want sushi or I want something else that comes along with nutrients with it. But I, I liken that to, you know, where people think like, oh, if I don't exclude this one thing, or if I allow myself full access to all these foods that we're talking about, then I'm going to become obsessed with, or I'm going to eat too much fruit is another popular concern for people, right? Like they think that they're going to do harm to their body by eating too much fruit. And so I point to Jonathan Van Ness and my experience with white rice to say that like you have to move through that and you have to allow your body to kind of like learn that it's no longer being restricted. It's no longer in starvation mode, whether it's caloric or nutrient, you know, micronutrient based or macronutrient based or whatever it was. And the longer that you've been dieting, the more I think that applies. And so this idea of focusing on inclusion is so powerful from the perspective of like, if it's on that list, like go ham now i'm i'm wishing i had seen your list earlier because i'm like <laughs> rice is on your list i would have been like you know what megan says it's fine
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i love uh, what what jonathan has done there and it's certainly something i see and i've seen it for a very long time where people you know once they start to follow these principles they're like god i've never eaten so much i'm eating i'm always full uh, and the volume they're the eating so much it's just like you said you know they're not going through these binge cycles as much. And also I do, I do like what you said about the, you know, sometimes you need to go get it out of your system, so to speak. And what I see is this principle of inclusion, not exclusion come in there because it's about your relationship with food. And, you know, we've all been on some sort of diet and we've seen it, you know, 90% of the clients that come to me say that they can't keep chocolate in their house, because it would just the whole block would be gone because of this this kind of labeling of food as being naughty, and then it, they just can't control themselves. So when we move to this world of thinking about nothing's excluded, but just include it's such a healthier mindset in terms of your relationship with me, which is really, really quite key. And again, it's backed by science. As long as you're including those super six, then, you know, you're going to have good gut health. But I think it's really the fifth principle that has a lot of legs in terms of that binging cycle that you, you mentioned, because again, So many of us have have been on a diet. I think the stats show about 95% of it. Some stage of our diet has been on some sort of diet. And there's this technique called mindful eating, which has really helped people reestablish their relationship with food and get them out of the binging cycle. Stacey, great that you're able to move on, on that binge. You know, yourself, you were like, yep, I've had enough. But actually I do see in clinics, some people get stuck in that binging stage. And then there's that negative emotion attached to it. And then, you know, all of these other things can kind of spiral out. Out of control. So I like to give people the the tools to be able to help them through that stage, and obviously not to feel guilty if they do overconsume. But in the book, I talk about yeah the the six, ten steps to mindful eating, and essentially you just choose whatever treat food or whatever food you want to enjoy. It doesn't you know we shouldn't necessarily use the whole labelling of a treat, but whatever food you feel out of control around, right? So you choose that food for you during that stage. Might have been white rice, and you actually engage all of your six senses. And it sounds a little bit hippy dippy and stuff like that, but there is really good to be evidence to show that after about nine or so weeks of following this routine you can just do it once a week with that food you actually then start to have that better relationship with food you start to enjoy it more you know how to you know follow your cues when you're full of it you're done you're happy to move on and you're not kind of hung up on it for as long so it is about yeah engaging those six senses with it and it could really yeah, help people move through that binging phase
1: This podcast is sponsored by Everly Well, allowing you to prioritize what matters most with accessible, affordable health care for the holidays this year, the gift of health for yourself or those you care about most. Choose from over 30 at-home lab tests and high-quality vitamins and supplements that you'll be able to find the perfect test for you or your loved one. Everly Well ships products straight to you or your loved one with everything needed in one package. If you ordered an at-home lab test, the sample can simply be collected at home and shipped back to a certified lab in the prepaid envelope included with the test. Digital physician-reviewed results are sent straight to your preferred device in days. If you ordered vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine. We shared more details in episode 354, specifically about vitamin D, but the process applies overall. Over 1 million people have trusted Everlywell to support their health and wellness goals. I have used Everly Well for years, and I actually use the code Everlywell has shared with you to get 20% off an allergy test for a loved one. I know several people in my life who struggle with identifying health issues, and these will help save them time and money. Whether you're practicing radical self-love, taking care of yourself, or gifting this simple at-home testing service, the gift of health has never been so easy to share than it is this holiday season. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home test at everlywell.com/wholeview. That's e-v-e-r-l-y-w-e-l-l.com/wholeview for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com/wholeview. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. Have you figured out where you're getting your turkey yet? If you haven't yet tried ButcherBox delivery, or maybe you paused it during summer travels, now is the time because they're gifting you a humanely raised one for free. There are a lot of food delivery service providers, and I've researched them all. None compare to ButcherBox. Humane and sustainably raised meat, the beef is grass-fed and finished, chicken is free-range organic, and seafood is wild-caught. No antibiotics or added hormones, shipped for free, frozen, right to your door in an eco-friendly, 100% recyclable box. They're a B Corp focused on quality for you, the animal, and the planet. The convenience of being able to throw together dinner anytime with a stocked freezer not only saves me time, but ButcherBox offers awesome exclusive member deals. This will be our third year with a ButcherBox turkey, and we have been using and loving them for years. I love that I can adjust my custom box to adapt to changing seasons, what deals are being offered and the kids preferences. Since they each cook a meal each week, ButcherBox allows us to empower the kids and help them prepare to live on their own while making our parenting job that much easier. No grocery stores or kitchen duty. And if you want to give it a go, do not let this awesome deal fly by. See what I did there? A little pun. The main course for Thanksgiving dinner can sometimes be a main source of stress. Not anymore. ButcherBox is offering our listeners free turkey with their first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com wholeview whole view and use code whole view to get one 10 to 14 pound turkey free in your first box. That's butcherbox.com slash whole view and use code whole view to claim this deal. Yeah, and I think the idea too of being mindful of all things that you eat all the time is so beneficial from a digestive perspective as well. I know, you know, my husband grew up in a household with three other brothers. So it was like four teenagers with like a limited food of whatever was on the table. And they knew that if they wanted to have the one serving of leftovers that they needed to like scarf down the food as quickly as possible to be the first one to get leftovers. And My husband would be like, even if it was something that I didn't want, like I didn't like, or even if it was something I wasn't hungry, it didn't matter. It was like this race to see who would be the first one to get the leftovers. And he's still someone who, when there's food on the table and he likes it, he'll get the hiccups because he's like eating it so quickly. And I'm like, slow down, like enjoy your food. There's plenty of food. It's not going anywhere. I actually am a foster parent as well. And I've had multiple children in my home who have had food insecurity. And that has been eye opening for me from this perspective as well, right? Like you can't think about you know, the, the nutrients of what you need or optimizing your digestion or any of these kinds of things. If you're thinking that you're food insecure and you don't know where your next meal will come from. And so living in a home that is the opposite of food insecure. I mean, I'm like- I have four teenagers, so it's like a, a literal Costco in my pantry all the time. Do they have those for you? Do they have Yeah, those? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like a warehouse of food. Yeah. You know, so they they come and they it's like it's like they're paralyzed and overwhelmed in terms of like, like how to appropriately behave around food or how to appropriately consume the food. And it's I think it's helped me on my journey and my relationship with food to see somebody else who's had, you know, food insecurity and to support them from, you know, sometimes from a mental health perspective, having gone through the trauma that they've gone through, that they're also binging and supporting them and saying, like, you can have as much of this food as you want. And it needs to be at a table, like we're not going to eat in our room. That's not Safe, we can get bugs and rodents and whatever. And I also don't want you to feel shame about the food that you're eating. I want you to feel comfortable, you know, sitting around everybody and eating this. Like you are welcome to everything. And so, hearing these words come out of my mouth to a child is like, why am I expecting them to see this or to behave this way if I won't do it for myself? Do I feel shame about the food that I'm eating? Do I feel like I need to hide it? Do I feel like I need to restrict? And is that what's causing my behavior of some of these other things? So I think it's it's helped me fully understand how important mindfulness of food and this idea of being inclusive and adding more to your plate is so powerful.
0: Yeah, Stacey, I mean, thanks for sharing that. Obviously, your audience is very aware of, of the fostering in the background. And I just think, you know, It's such a beautiful gift to give to someone. And like you've seen, you know, you can help rebuild their relationship with food as well, with the food insecurity, all the trauma, the emotional, all of that sort of stuff. It's it's really powerful. And, you know, my mom doesn't directly foster, but kind of gives relief to foster parents. And so we grew up with a lot of foster kids and I've seen, yeah, it, it just shows how, emotional eating can be like emotions are really drawn in that and we shouldn't neglect them and and be like you said embarrassed by them and you know there is a lot of yeah emotion that comes with that which comes down to i guess the sixth point about cultivating that community and i love i love that about you know what whatever you want to eat do it at the table you know there's no shame about eating any sort of food and and talking about food actually the science has shown that families that eat together the kids actually do better at school in terms of their grades just that community relationship you know it's great time to talk about you know what's happening at school and what's happening with friends and all of that sort of stuff so cultivating community and remembering that food isn't just for health it's about emotions, relationships, all of that sort of stuff, I think is incredibly important to anyone's eating journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to circle back to number two, which we skipped over. I have a question for you. So we 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 moved into three, four, five, six, but number two, again, not surprising, go for whole, not refined. So we did talk earlier about pro- what you called processed food, I called pre-prepared food, or however someone wants to look at something. If we think about food coming from, you know, the originating source, there's going to be less things that you might not be aware of, or that might not be, you know, a choice that you would make if you were making it in your own kitchen. And... I think there's also this element of sustainability in terms of how to make these things work in your real life and accessibility from the perspective of not everyone is going to be able to make, you know, seven home cooked dinners a week in order to achieve 30 varieties of fruits and vegetables or whatever it might be. And so I felt like this is kind of a good opportunity to talk about some of those examples. And in my case, I feel better when I eat more protein. However, I was a vegetarian for seven years, and I don't have a gallbladder. And so my digestion is not the best. I, I don't want to just eat Meat all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I've been looking for alternative sources of protein. I don't do well with whey. It doesn't agree with me. And I find that usually it's got a bunch of ingredients in it that I don't want. But I have found two sources of protein powder that I feel good about. And so I'm going to ask you about them, knowing full well that no matter what your answer is, I feel good about them and I feel good when I take them. And so Part of this journey is also, I think, for listeners, learning and listening and then making decisions about yourself. So the the two kinds of protein that I find that sit well with me and help me feel good are pea protein. I found one through Ritual, whose ingredients are clean and they're using like high quality organic non-GMO peas with regenerative farming. So I feel good about all of that. And then I also like a bone broth powder. The one that I like is Paleo Valley, which doesn't have any additives and they test for heavy metals and different things like that, that might be in them. So I, I know that like, I've done the research and I know that those foods are not whole. And at the same time that that helps me to add protein in. And I really like to add them specifically to smoothies. And so I'm using whole f- foods, fruits and vegetables. Oftentimes it helps us actually prevent food waste. Like as my bananas are starting to turn or, you know, as vet, like zucchini is often something that I buy and then we never use enough of, and I put it in the freezer. And so I add those things to my smoothies. So I know not only am I getting like this benefit of the protein, but I'm also, you know, benefiting the earth from not wasting, I'm putting whole fruits and vegetables in there. So like I'm saying, I feel good about this. I don't need to justify myself, but I'm explaining. And I'm wondering how that fits with your principles of, of overall the super six, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, this is a really great one. And I love having these these sorts of discussions. And like you said, for your audience, actually it's helpful to hear different people's perspectives and not feel bad about keeping your own and be like, okay, that's your perspective. Fine, you do you and I'll do me. So I, I love these sorts of conversations. So in terms of the, the powders that you have, so absolutely. I mean, it's part of the inclusion, not exclusion. If you find that that helps you eat more of the whole super sex, go for it. But they actually aren't counted towards your 30 plant points a day. And the reason for that is yes, they contain proteins, which is one of the macronutrients, but often through the the processing and the refining actually that's cut out some of the fiber which you'd normally find in in peas, as well as some of those other phytochemicals which can have additional health benefits. So, I think you know, as if, if we look at it from a whole, yes, of course, having, you know, the beans as a whole form is going to have more nutrition compared to the the powder. Um, but that's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, if if it works for you, it's more accessible in terms of making, you know, the the smoothies more creamy, and therefore you're eating all these extras, you know, that's going to be fine but i guess the principle is kind of what we see as kind of the the optimal for your gut microbes and the powders which are just the protein have cut out the fiber and therefore it's it's not included in there but you know you know what i mean it's it's not about the the cutting out if if it works for you
1: No, I love that. And even if it wasn't regenerative, farmed, organic, all that kind of stuff, it's also like, I know that there's a lot of different protein powders out there. Like if that makes people feel good, go for it. I know if I'm eating a smoothie, it's an intentional choice on my end to be making a healthy choice. So I want to like use as many healthier ingredients as possible. So The last thing that I like to leave our listeners with is ending on a positive note and what action steps they can take to make a difference in their lives. So I know we've talked about your super six. We've talked about your six principles. What are a few things specifically that you'd recommend to have the best overall positive impact on well-being?
0: Yeah, I might I might pick two if I can be a bit sneaky. You know, the first one is, is trying to hit your 30 different plant points. Of course, if you come from a fixated world of, of counting and that's going to have a negative impact on you, then, then obviously don't count the plants. But for a lot of people, actually, it can be a fun game with the kids. You get a little bit like, oh, how many have you had this week? How many have I had? So if it works for you, then yeah, list out the different plants you might have eaten yesterday and then kind of keep a bit of a tally and go, oh, have I gotten something from the super six? You know, am I at my... 30. And it might be a case of every week, just picking one new type of plant as a family that you're going to incorporate in your diet that maybe you've not had before and kind of make it a fun family. If, you, if you've got a family around you sort of experiment or you know, activity to do together, so to speak. So I think that picking one extra plant that you can add to your diet per week is, is a really positive, fun, engaging way to, to follow these principles. The second one is actually going to pick up when you're talking about your husband chewing, not chewing his food, kind of just swallowing it, and. That's That's another important one, I think, around this whole gut health. A lot of people are subjected to gut issues like bloating, altered stills, constipation, all of that sort of stuff. and that's what my first book, Love You Gut, is all about—trying to help people get on top of them. But one of the things I think we we overlook is the importance of chewing our food. It sounds really simple, but we not only start to physically break down the food, but actually, our saliva contains digestive enzymes which actually start to chemically break down the food, including about thirty percent of the digestive types of carbohydrates as well. But often, if we think about it, you know, we're busy, we're multitasking, we might have like five chews or eight chews and swallow it. And actually, scientific studies have shown that they've actually compared it was almonds obviously we're not going to chew our food all this number of times but they compared 10 chews of almonds and then swallowed it versus people who chewed the almonds 40 times and what they found when they chewed the food the almonds only four or 10 times they had significant malabsorption a lot of that nutrition so actually you were wasting a lot of the nutrition that the almonds had to offer compared to those who only who chewed the the almonds 40 times now of course i'm not going to go and expect people to you know crazily increase the number of chews they're having and don't get fixated on it but you might just want to take a little note of next time you're eating how many chews do i have i have on average and oh maybe i should try adding an extra four chews or something particularly for people who get bloating and and altered stool issues because it can really help maximize your absorption and lower those gi symptoms Yeah, I think the other element of
1: that for me as I was working through improving my digestion after my gallbladder removal was not just the chewing but also not swallowing with liquids because part of what I realized I was doing is I was partially chewing and then I would take a sip of water to kind of like gulp it down and so when I removed the liquid from the dining table from in front of myself, like I had to physically remove it in order to break the habit, then it forced me to chew more because I didn't want to swallow something that was like partially chewed. And that really helped, you know, when my saliva and my teeth are breaking down the food, it meant that the lack of bile that I have, it didn't need to work as hard. Right. And so that's a principle that I hope can apply to everybody. And I've, I've noticed it with my husband as well. It's one of the things that like I helped him with is like, don't wash your food down with liquid because then it's creating all kinds of disturbances in your digestive process. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up as a good one hey listeners, something a little unusual this week. I'm popping in because we answered a question that I want to share here while we were recording the patreon and this is the kind of content that you'll have access to over on patreon.com/ whole view but this felt like too important to leave there and I wanted to make sure it was incorporated in the whole conversation that I was having with Megan about her approach to food. Her words were incredibly powerful and I think really helpful and important when we look at health and wellness in a affordable and accessible way. Without further ado, here's that little time warp of a comment before we finalize and wrap the show. I think what um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about that we didn't really get into um, have time to that I will not surprised uh, the the listeners here about my little soapbox is that, you know, one of the things that the further I get from kind of diet culture, the more that I realize how very inaccessible it is and creating kind of like this healthism concept. Is this something that you're kind of like, tuned into it all okay yeah absolutely so it's like this idea that yeah absolutely obviously you were you said you were raised on a farm farm fresh is fantastic like I I took my kids to farms when when they were younger and we would like you know pick our own fruits and vegetables we would see the literal farm that our protein was raised like there's nothing about that that I regret what I regret is this idea that like I was better, or I was healthier, or, you know, in order to achieve health, you needed to do some of these things, which are so inaccessible and unaffordable to so many people. And what I loved about your approach in your book is that someone could do it on, like, government-supported programs. Like, here in the U.S., we have, uh, I think it's called SNAP, right? Like, when I think about my foster families and what what I'm teaching them when a child comes into my home, and if they go to their biological home they can take some of these lessons learned and implement you know more vegetables like oh when i make pasta i can grate zucchini into the pasta and it tastes good you know but i'm getting you know more fiber from it that is something that they can do accessibly without feeling like you know, oh, well, it's this special thing. I can't find this ingredient anywhere or, oh, it's too expensive or, oh, whatever. And so I appreciate that was part of your program, whether it was kind of intentional or not. Um, But I'd love to kind of like hear what you see as someone doing this day in and out, not just from the research perspective, but also from, you know, your
0: peers in this dietary world. Yeah, look, I mean, it really does my head in when I see that health is kind of on this wealth pedestal, that you have to be only the wealthy people. And and we see it like in every country. Um, Those who are on the lower end of the spectrum, you know, have lower life expectancies. Um, You know, they, they they eat less fiber, all of these sorts of things, because as a culture, we've kind of been it's been beaten into us that to eat healthy it has to be expensive and I think all of these health food stores you know just further kind of reiterate that they make it look like healthy foods have to be so much more expensive like things like quinoa and and things like that in health food stores they're like you know four times the cost and I obviously don't know the prices in in the US but Certainly in the UK, a lot of our mainstream supermarkets actually you can get quinoa cheaper than some of the wheat varieties. You just have to look in the right spots in the supermarket. It, it just blows my mind if there's this health halo around something, the prices go up, and therefore people are lower income they feel like that's not accessible to them, and they kind of just switch off for it, um, and and just think oh look, I, I, I can't go there, I can't be healthy, and and there's so many barriers surrounding them. So um yeah really passionate about people realizing that health should not come at this you know premium cost things like lentils and legumes for example actually they reduce the cost of you know a recipe by adding them in the canned versions absolutely fine none of this like sprouting fast to get the maximum health benefit like that's ridiculous you get like an extra one percent of nutrition which in the whole context of your diet is so minimal and has zero impact go the canned versions. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I, I love that you're kind of you're teaching these principles to the foster families, that, you know, if they are going going back to their biological parents who might not have, you know, the same sort of income and things like that, because it, it is so important and I am really passionate. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the beauties of, I guess, social media. It does in some way make simple health accessible messages, yeah, or more kind of out there to the masses. But the same the same end i guess the other end you could say that actually social media with the whole like supplements and you know even things like the protein powders and stuff like that for some people they may think that you have to buy all these special supplements to be healthy and that's not the case actually they're mostly a waste of your money um in terms of where you can actually get the nutrition from so yeah no i think it's a really good point
1: well, Megan, I want to thank you for everything that you shared and being on the show. I really enjoyed connecting. And I think that someone coming from anti-diet approach, talking to a dietitian shows that we have more common ground, most people on so many topics than we probably are willing to see in about most in life, and so I appreciate your patience and listening to, to my approach onto a lot of this. Listeners, we are going to be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view, and the best place to ask questions is there as well. If you've loved the show and you want to support it, the Patreon is a great way to do so, but also, you can leave a review hitting the follow or subscribe button in whatever app you're listening so that others can find us as well. I want to remind you that if you want to find more of Megan, her new book, How to Eat More Plants is available. It's on Amazon. I'm assuming it's in US bookstores and not just, yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, it's actually and- quite com- quite confusing. In the UK, it's called Eat More, Af- what is it called? Eat will live well is the book. So they they changed the title. It's the same book. Interesting. Yeah, but Canada and UK. So
1: here in the U.S., it's called How to Eat More Plants. But if you are across the pond, you can find it under the alternative title as well. And I'm also going to be putting a couple of resources in the show notes of things that we referred to today, including Megan's social and website, theguthealthdoctor.com. So Megan, thank you again for joining us. And listeners, I'll be back again next week. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stacey.